Welcome, Carolee Graham, to our second interview on So You Want to Make a Difference. We're so excited to have you with us today. <laughs> Welcome, Carolee. It's so lovely to meet you. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, so I wanted to dive straight in and if you could just maybe talk us through some of the things that you've done in the past uh, before we kind of dive a little bit more into what you're doing now. If you wanted to give everyone a bit of a background on, on what you've been up to in your life, Kiralee. Well, it's, it's quite a sort of, I suppose, a long and um, uh, interesting journey uh, that's been happening over the past probably 30, 35 years of my working career. Uh, it sort of started in hospitality, or actually trained in doing interior design, um, but ended up in hospitality, then went to Queensland um, when they introduced poker machines up there, so they needed gaming experts, and then I kind of got into a business administration and sales administration, and then I got taught sales. So it's just kind of this really interesting journey, lots of different areas um, that I've been in and worked in. Um, and it was really coming down... I think, to, to Melbourne uh, just over 20 years ago that I really started to, I think, search for something that, you know, like a career that I was really passionate about. And it was through a, a career psychologist uh, after I got retrenched from my job that brought me down to Melbourne that uh, led me into training and development. And that, that really resonated with me because I just loved my experience of all the training that I'd got in my various roles. And I think that's probably why I've done so many different things because I just love to learn. And that sort of led me on to, you know, starting my own training and development business. And then later on working, uh, you know, and moving into the charity sector sort of happened. As many of us say, it was a bit of an accidental career move. Can you expand on that? Because I'm really curious as to, you know, you were a sort of a high-flying corporate. You had your own business. I know you were doing really well in that space. Um, and to take that leap, I guess, across into uh, the not-for-profit sector, talk us through what was going on, what what inspired you to do that? I would actually say I probably straddled the fence and got a lot of splinters in my backside for many, <laughs> many years. <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> because I... You know, I, I was used to earning good money and I had, had been successful in my various roles. And really, I think the work I did with the charity was just coming from a place of, you know, there was something that I was looking for that was a little bit more fulfilling and I enjoyed and I could um, probably expand my, you know, my own learning, my, uh, my creativity, being able to bring a lot of different experience into that role and probably leadership as well because that was one of the things that when I first got in, involved with a particular charity that I did it was missing that's what I could see was missing there was nobody that was actually really stepping up and bringing a lot of good business practice and so that's what I stepped into and so I did that so from 2002 so probably 15 years I started as a volunteer went into a board role as you know voluntarily um, and it was quite late when I actually took on a part-time paid role and I did that even for many years trying to juggle running a business as well as running a you know a small charity and I only really took the leap in the sort of the last couple of years of working for the charity so majority of it was actually trying to to manage both and that was that was really challenging and predominantly because I loved what I did with the charity, but I just couldn't see how I could make a living out of it. And that's what that sort of really stopped me from from taking that leap. So 
So, yes, sitting on the fence with splinters in my backside. <laughs> I think that's a really great analogy of, um, of what probably a lot of people sort of feel that um, have a foot in sort of both camps. Yeah, it wasn't a conscious decision to go and work in the sector. It literally was um, when I moved to Melbourne and the office of the charity that I've been sponsoring a child through was was located in Melbourne. And so I simply rang them to let them know of my change of address. And when uh, I was speaking with the lady, because, of course, this was really probably before emails and, and websites and stuff were really a thing. So um, I was actually having a conversation with the lady that worked there and just made a, you know, a passing comment, if you ever need a hand with anything, let me know. Uh, and next thing I know, I've been invited to a fundraising committee meeting and that's how it all started. And the reason I was kind of keen to get involved with them was because I was actually very inspired by the founder. I read the book. It's incredibly heart-wrenching and inspiring um, and I was motivated to start sponsoring a child, you know, through that organisation and I love the work that they did. So that's sort of what, you know, what got me involved in the first place. And that was a children's charity that worked with underprivileged children, kids with disability um, and street kids in Vietnam and Mongolia. And in 2006, so after I'd been involved for a few years, you know, as a volunteer, I actually had the opportunity to go over and see it firsthand. And that was it. I was a convert. Yeah. And, and when I actually saw the work that they were doing and met the kids and the staff, it was just like, that's where it became a real heart passion project for me. And then so from there, how did you come to start up Dovetail Social Enterprises? It really came from having all those splinters in my backside for so long. It, you know, there was a, a point at which I realised that there was so much unworkability in the, not just the organisation I worked at, but just the sector in general about how charities are expected to operate. And, you know, there's so little resources, so little money and the people that are in there are very passionate about what they do but are not really empowered to make the change and, and really create the change that they want to. And uh, because of my background in business and working in the small business sector, um, I also saw that there was a, a real missing in the, like in the whole workplace of having small to medium-sized businesses who we had a lot of supporters that owned their own businesses and were quite generous and they, they used to fundraise for us and, and, and give us products and services, but they didn't really have it in a formalised way. And, you know, we as an organisation, a charity organisation, had always aspired to get a great corporate sponsor, like one of the big banks or insurance companies mm. who had really big teams that managed all of those charity partnerships but we were never going to be a match for them. We were never going to be able to um, cater for the needs of a, a, you know, a big business that were going to um, require a lot of nurturing and that relationship takes quite a bit of time and we just didn't have those resources. And the small business sector, I think, just had a much better synergy for us because they understood what it was like to run a small business. They understood the challenges of having to wear many hats in a business, um, the same as what we did, and... All we had to do was provide some structure for them to actually like facilitate that to help support them in their fundraising and, and being able to give them the right sort of feedback um, about the impact that they were making and the contribution that they were making through their business. And so I could see that if we could just enable some of that relationship and could help provide them with the, the right guidance on um, how to communicate that well to their customers and engage their um, staff, that we could, you know, really open up to a very big market in Australia, which there's over 2 million 
sole traders, micro, small and medium-sized businesses, and nobody's actually looking after them in regards to facilitating charity partnerships. So these small to medium-sized businesses, why do they come to you? Um, Is it because they can't find the right charities? Um, What sort of advantages do you bring them? Yeah, it's. I think because the program's still actually very new, it was only launched in um, May, so a few months ago, it's kind of like there's a, a need there that they didn't know they had yeah. <laughs> at the moment. And it's one of the things that I've found incredibly um, interesting and reconfirming in the conversations I've been having since then that a lot of the assumptions that I'd made were, were pretty spot on. And I think that if I had a dollar for every time somebody had said to me, I've really wanted to do this, but I just didn't know where to start. You know, that's kind of the most common thing. It's just like, the, which charity do I choose? There's so many. And are they making a difference with the money that I'm giving them? And are they spending it where they, you know, they said they would? And so there's all these questions and barriers that are there for them. Um, and then internally in their business, it was like, well, how are we going to manage that? Like, we don't know how to look up that stuff. How do we find out that sort of thing? not sure how we'd actually fundraise in our business. Um, You know, they don't want to kind of create a whole lot of extra work, but they want to be able to contribute something. So it's it's really a discovery. The conversation is is usually a discovery and people get interested when they sort of hear about it and go, oh, tell me more about it. And then as soon as we start the conversation, they reconfirm all of those, you know, those barriers that were there for them. And so I think that just really facilitates, you know, getting all of that stuff out of the road. And I imagine that they also want to make sure that their donations going to or their support is going to the right places and you kind of do that due diligence for them um, and do the legwork in that field. Yes, that's right. We, you know, the, the development of Dovetail, is, it's taken, you know, nearly two years. A lot of that's actually been because I've done that work with each of the charities that we've chosen. They're, they're small, they're grassroots. Um, they've been operating for a few years. They've, they've got some really good results in what they've done in that time, uh, but they just need a little bit of support to take them up to the next level. Um, so we've made sure that they've got good governance, they've got all of their annual reports and audits done, that you know they've got the ability to be able to support the businesses with the feedback, so at a certain level of project management and communications that they can provide as well that we can you know help get that feedback to the businesses and I think that's the missing link what you know my experience has been in conversations is that businesses are contributing they're they're fundraising they're donating they're doing great stuff but it sort of is a little bit like a tick the box exercise and not that that's how they intended it to be that's just kind of been a bit of their experience and Yes, it's ticked the box, but they haven't really got that sense of fulfilment from it. And it's because that communication about the impact they've actually made has been missing. And I think a lot of that comes from the smaller, you know, particularly the smaller to medium-sized charities are just so under-resourced and don't have that skill set to actually, you know, supply that feedback. And the bigger charities, the small businesses are very small fish and so they're not getting that care, whereas in the smaller charities don't have the resources like the bigger charities to, to provide that feedback. So, Kiralee, you were saying it, it's taken you over two years, I guess, to develop Dovetail and bring it to where it is. What keeps you motivated? That's a long time to stay on task. <laughs> it is, it is. I think because I can just see the golden opportunity and I definitely think it didn't, it wasn't like 100% of my time has been spent on this over the two years because, of course, I still had to make a living whilst I was developing it. But 
you know, my, one of my biggest motivators for getting um, up in the morning and, and continuing on with it was because of COVID and the charities being impacted so badly by, you know, this period over the past couple of years, most of the charities we're working with, some of them have halved the services that they're providing or have closed the schools that they, you know, that they were providing for the children that they were out caring for or whatever it might be. And, and they just so desperately need the support. Um, and mm. so it, it just kind of wasn't an option, <laughs> really, not to do it. It's just literally, it's right, this has just got to be done. And I just really do see that this is an incredible opportunity to, to really sh- um, transform the way that the business sector can, you know, make an impact in this space. Mm. And were there any barriers? Uh, yes, <laughs> I think, but you know, the, the, I think the biggest barrier is always when you're bootstrapping a, a startup business, um, which is what I've done. I've, you know, pretty much used up my savings. I have, um, you know, a lot of that I did whilst I was working, you know, in the sector anyway. Um, but I think just that, that ability to be able to bring to life all of the ideas and all the things that you want it to be on a very, very tight budget. I think that there is also a, probably a very big barrier about people's perception about how charities should run. And so um, I believe that a lot of people can see it the right way, but I also see that there is a perception out there in the marketplace. There's a lot of um, distrust um, because the media sort of beats up um, some negative stories every now and again. And I think that's something else that's is it can be really challenging to overcome in conversations, um, you know, with people as well. And, you know, there's there's always going to be barriers, but it's just a way of, you know, how do you work around those? Yeah. And I guess too, if you refer to your uh, the video on your website, do you want to talk a little bit about that video? Yeah. So that was, that was a really pivotal moment for me. It was um, there's a TED talk by a gentleman called uh, Dan Pilotta, um, who is a social entrepreneur uh, based in the States. And he really explains his personal story and experience of working in the sector and how uh, some very negative publicity completely decimated, you know, his own business, which had transformed a lot of different charity organisations over there from sort of running uh, bake sales for, you know, a few thousand dollars right through to, you know, and he was converting them over to charities that were generating tens of millions of dollars through um, his fundraising activities. And he really was able to dissect what a lot of the preconceptions that we have about how charities should run, where they came from, why do we have these ways of thinking about how they should run and what is the impact of that when we actually think that charities should be running without, you know, spending money and also how if we could actually shift that and get up behind them, the difference that that would make in, in actually bringing change in the world. So when I watched that video, it literally, my whole world got recreated in that moment and I realised that I needed to actually look at my myself in that situation I realized I'd been indoctrinated into that way of thinking because I'd been working and volunteering in the charity sector for you know well over 10 years by that stage and and I say I realized that I was taking off my business hat at the end of the day putting on my charity hat and then I was butting my head up against the wall going why is this not working um yeah and I just realized that I was part of that problem and so, you know, in that instant, I just I stopped apologising for the money that I was earning, which was pretty pitiful at the time. And, and I just started to be a demand for 
being able to operate the organisation effectively. And if that meant that we needed to spend money on an extra staff member or a bookkeeper or upgrade our computers so that we could actually do the work we needed to do, getting getting a rental um, space, an office space, so that we could actually bring a team of volunteers together rather than trying to manage them remotely, then that's what we needed to do. One of our questions is around, you know, did you have an aha moment? I think that's probably one of them. That's it, most definitely. I found that video so eye-opening because I think just um, how he was talking about these double standards we have and we don't have problems with big companies who, you know, want to make money. We don't have problem with them spending lots if their goal is to just make money and have a commercial enterprise. But we do have mm-hmm. problems with people who their goal is to make a difference and change the world, but we have problem with them spending money to achieve that. And it's ridiculous. Yeah. A different set of rules. It's crazy. I agree. Yeah, yeah, he 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 just um, encapsulates it so well. Um, it's hard to argue with it after you know after you've heard it. I was going to ask about the, you know, why you work with grassroots charities, but I think that you've already covered that and made it quite clear. Yeah, it, there is a, there is a little um, there is I suppose a little bit more to that because what I've seen and this was my own experience of um, with the Christina Noble Children's Foundation. It, you know, when I joined it, it was probably turning over around $200,000 a year. And uh, once we sort of like at its peak, we were probably closer to half a million dollars a year turnover. That's what it built it up to in a, you know, in a part-time capacity. And there was, there was a limit. There was a ceiling that I hit. And I, I say that there was probably three times in which I tried to actually take it up to the next level, building a team of volunteers, getting that office space, recruiting the volunteers, training them and, and managing them. And then inevitably somebody would say, I'm sorry, I've got a full-time job or, you know, um, I'm sorry, we're moving into state or I'm pregnant or whatever it might be. And then I would end up with all of these half-finished projects um, on top of my regular work. And so it was a real challenge to sort of build the team with, without actually being able to spend any money. And, you know, I had probably three attempts at doing that. And it really, it just took everything out of me. And I ended up with adrenal fatigue and burnt out. And, you know, there was a point that I got to where I actually thought, got a great board, we put everything in place and and I stepped back. And, uh, you know, it was only after those attempts, multiple attempts of trying to do it, that I I realised that there was just kind of, there's a capacity or a lid that there's, I, I just could not get past doing it part time. And when I realized that what we needed was just that capital investment to be able to grow the team that I could just put those people in those places and rely on those you know those accountabilities Um, the challenge was how do we do that without having any money you know because we had that restriction Um, particularly in Australia we have an expectation that charities can only spend 20% of their revenue on operating so you know at a half a million dollar turnover that's $100,000 a year. Now, that $100,000 a year I had to pay myself part-time, my administrator part-time. We had a bookkeeper because of the level of accounting and reporting we had to do. We had rent. We had our bank fees and merchant fees were up to $10,000 a year alone. We had to pay our insurances. That's a couple of grand, you know. So all of that for $100,000 a year. And that left nothing in the kitty to actually then put on additional um, people because we couldn't even, we couldn't actually operate for less than 110. That was pretty much our, our um, lowest budget. And 
for us to actually expand, we needed to get some regular income. And it's a bit of a chicken and the egg. You need to spend money to make money. And, and that's where we sort of got stuck. And the more I spoke about this with other founders and charity um, executives, it was a common theme. That's kind of where the ceiling is. And so it's really, that's why I choose to work in that that particular area because I know that they need that investment to actually scale and grow and get up to a, probably around $2 million turnover a year so that we can actually then at that point hand over um, at the program and, and all of the business partnerships that we have and they've actually got the resources then to manage it themselves because they'll have the team in place. They've then got a $400,000 budget, which is actually a good budget to work with. Um, so it's all about growing their capacity to a point and a sustainable business model that they don't need us anymore. And you're maximising their impact, the impact that they can have in their communities. That's right. So I did want to just pivot the conversation. This podcast is about people wanting to make a difference. Uh, and I guess we're sort of really aiming at people that I'm the first to put my hand up and say, I fit this bill, where you're really keen to make a difference. You're passionate about lots of things, but you find yourself sort of sitting on the fence or kind of sitting back a little bit with whether it's fear or it's, I don't really know what I should do, or I'm not really sure what I want to do, or I'm busy. And you just, you know, sort of months and years go by where you're actually not sort of doing anything. And I think it's really interesting for me to understand why some people like yourself are, are sort of, you know, serial people that make a difference. So in your opinion, Kiralee, what do you think it is? What do you think made you actually take action and kind of get off that fence? I think that it, a lot of it does just come from intrinsically who I am. You know, I've always been a carer um, and I've always been uh, somebody who has probably wanted to contribute in some way. You know, I sort of think about, think back to my relationships even at school. I would say, though, that, that sort of the taking action, a lot of it probably did come out of a lot of the personal development that I did as well. Um, and that really, I think, took away a lot of those personal perceptions and barriers that maybe had me stopped, you know, that maybe not willing to sort of take a risk as much or to uh, really put my hand up. Uh, I think a lot of those things can, can certainly get in the road. But I think that, you know, I think really the most powerful way that people can contribute back is actually just finding something that, something that they're passionate about. And that's, that's a, a really a self-discovery, you know, for people to go and it's a journey for themselves to go is to actually go out and explore that and try those different things. And, you know, I, I've given an awful lot back, yes, you know, through my work in the charity sector directly, actually working in that sector. But I'd have to say that now I feel like I'm really in my flow with that because, yes, I was making a difference, but there was a lot of constraints in that space as well. And I think that, you know, where Dovetail sits really between the two of, of that business sector and the and the charity sector and the, all those different organisations out there making a difference, you know, has just got me in my flow now. And that's why it's just, it, it's not a, it's not even a thing about having motivation. It's actually, that's what my, my life is about now, you know. Mm, it's fascinating, isn't it, to think that, that that space exists. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have to discover it. I think that's the thing. And I would have, I remember, you know, uh, 20 odd years ago, 
been quite jealous of people that had a real passion for something. I felt like I, I didn't have a passion for something and and that's really, um, that's where my journey started was actually doing that personal development and self-discovery um, because I just felt like I didn't have a real passion for something and, uh, and you know, I didn't think it would end up here but it has and I'm very grateful for that. Maybe this question's too hard. Could you give one piece of advice as to what people could do to find that passion or to do the self-development? Like when you talk about that, what what's an example of something that someone could do? I think that we all are often inspired by something. I think it's just about taking that, I think it's about taking that first step is going out and actually, you know, investigating um, things that might be of interest to you. There are so many different platforms where you could choose to volunteer and I think using your skills, you know, what if you've got a particular skill set, use that for good as well. Um, I think if you have a business, have a look at how your business might be able to contribute. It could be something that is related to a charity or an organisation or a cause that you're passionate about. It could be about the environment. It could be, um, you know, how you work with your staff. There's lots of different, you know, different ways in which you can engage that. Um, but there are so many resources that are out. Um, available now for for individuals and businesses to to sort of start that journey. I think it's just about taking that first step and and being interested. I think we all are very used to being very busy um, and I think COVID has certainly um, given us that pause to reflect and I think people are now evaluating that more closely. Um, They're talking about the big resignation um, where they're expecting sort of 40 to 60% of the workforce are actually going to move. And it's because we've reflected and we've said this is not working for us. We don't want to be spending two hours in traffic every day. We do not want to be working long hours. We want to be actually working for organisations that are um, contributing something back and doing some good in the world. Uh, and so that's that's I think is a, is a real shift that we'll that we have been experiencing and we'll, and we'll definitely see coming in the future. Mm, amazing! It'll be so interesting to see what does happen. Yeah. It's perfect timing that you've set up your business. <laughs> I think I think so. I think that there is um, there's definitely been a real escalation in how people are. You know, consumers are very like conscious consumers. People are actually consciously looking for buying more um, relevantly, and you know, things that are making an impact or are contributing to something, not taking away from something. And the you just have to see the growth in the social enterprise sector. It's just absolutely booming. Uh, Victoria has one of the highest in Australia and we've actually got the Social Enterprise World Forum happening in Australia because we're, we're you know, it's such a growing market. Yeah, so promising to hear. Mm. Nice to know not everyone's on the fence with me. <laughs> so um, I guess just a general question for you, Kiralia, is is there anything um, you can share with people about dovetail or about what you're doing if they wanted to get sort of more involved or if they wanted to kind of get more connected with with the good that you're doing in the world? Yeah, well, I definitely would love to speak to uh, any business owners, uh, particularly if they're, whether they're a solopreneur um, or a small to medium-sized business. And particularly if you've probably been doing a little bit of fundraising or donating or, you know, you've been doing some stuff ad hoc but would perhaps like the opportunity to look how to do it more strategically um, and really utilise the the potential that's there to leverage it in your business effectively as well, particularly if you've got and want to attract young 
uh, millennials because they are most definitely, I think it's 91% of them are looking for uh, working for businesses that are doing some good in the world. So you're missing that opportunity, um, which is a very big problem at the moment with getting staff. So it's a, it's a sound strategic business decision, isn't it? It's not just sound. I think it's going to be imperative. I think it is, it's It's actually just going to be part of how businesses will be operating. There's most definitely a shift um, in happening. You know, that's what's happening in the world. So, and particularly in Australia, I think we're quite savvy down here. So, yeah, just uh, jump on our website, check out. Um, and we're on all the social media channels as well. Um, there's some good videos um, that are actually on our website as well. So you can actually find out a little bit more about how the program works and, you know, how to how to get involved with it. Mm-hmm. And we'll make sure that we put all those um, that information out there as well. Absolutely. And um, last question, Kiralee, um, for anyone who is perhaps looking to um, make a donation or perhaps looking to start their own social enterprise, are there any particular resources that you could direct them to to give them a bit of help? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, donating, there's, there are literally um, hundreds of or tens of thousands of charities in Australia. It really is about finding one that, you know, that you connect with and doing your own sort of investigative work. Um, I will be bringing out a, um, a program shortly about how to do your own due diligence with charities, um, particularly if you're looking at a charity partnership for a business. Um, but the best place to to look at um, for social enterprise, and this is it's such an exciting space to work in. Um, and if you're interested to look at the Social Enterprise World Forum, which is happening in Brisbane, um, there are social enterprise networks in every straight state in Australia, and there's an overarching one for Australia as well. So here in Victoria, we have Senvic. There is one for South Australia, one for New South Wales, ACT. Um, so, yeah, jump onto their websites and, and they've got an incredibly supportive community um, and they're generally free membership or very low-cost membership to be involved with those as well. Amazing. Thank you so much. That's super helpful. Um, so a couple of the good reads that I've had um, over the past couple of years which relate more specifically to uh, how businesses can actually embed their social impact into their business, um, there was... One of them by a gentleman called Peter Baines is uh, Doing Good by Doing Good and he's done a lot of research and he's got some really great statistics and and lots of really great case studies in there about how businesses have actually embedded um, the social impact and the social good that they're they're doing in their business and how it's been good for their business. There's also um, a fabulous uh, lady, Carolyn Butler-Madden, who has just released her second book, which um, is called For Love and Money. And um, she's, uh, we've just completed a cause marketing um, webinar series with her as well, which she looks at all of the great value that you can get for your business by actually um, embedding this in your business and how you can, you know, really enrich that through partnerships with other businesses and, you know, the exposure you can get as an organisation and what it does for the culture and, and the people in, in your business as well. So um, I'd re- definitely recommend those as two really good reads as well. Uh, well, Kiralee, that's amazing. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Um, I feel like I've learned a lot and it's been great to meet you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm really excited for the future and, and to see how it's going to make a difference. All right, Kate, so let's just sum up quickly and just did you have any key takeaways? I did. I had a few takeaways and I think my first one was really her analogy around straddling the fence. I think up until now I'd been thinking about people 
sort of getting off the fence um, and that it was a, dis- a once sort of one spot decision. But listening to mm-hmm. Kiralee, it sounds like she was in that space for some time and it just really sort of tickled my fancy. Um, and when she said getting lots of splinters, I thought, you know, it is, it's great to be reminded that you don't have to just make that one decision and dive in and that you can sort of do lots of things at the same time as you work out how you want to make a difference. Yeah, I agree with that. I definitely, that resonated a lot with me as well. Just this idea that you don't have to have it all figured out before you take that leap and we're all on a different path and it's not necessarily a linear one. Like Kiralee uh, worked in so many different areas and it took her some time to find what she was really passionate about. So I found that quite reassuring. Yeah, absolutely. And what about you, takeaways? Uh, so that one, I think this also connects to, to Kylie quite a bit, just this idea of the importance of self-awareness. Again, that resonated a lot and its connection to motivation as well, just finding something that you really care about and you care about it so much that then it's just not an option to lose motivation. And just this whole journey that Kiralee went on to of personal development to find that self-awareness and find what she was passionate about and where she wanted to direct her energy. So I feel like I'm on that journey at the moment, or we all are, but at different stages. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same. And um, I think there are real synergies between Kylie and uh, Kiralee. Yeah, it was interesting, like seeing the connections between them, both in, in their motivation, but also just like the mentality they have towards making a difference. Yeah, and just choosing something that you love or that you're interested in. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. You know, if you love animals, do something in animal welfare. Or if you love kids, do something with kids. The other thing too was Kiralee talked about Dan Paletta's TED Talk uh, and I went and and watched it and um, it really blew me away and the realisation that she had too when she watched it that she was really taking off her business hat and putting on her charity hat and I think it's really interesting to me to, to learn more about sort of how charities work and the expectations and how we can support them and how it can really how we can change our expectations of charities and who we you know give our money to or who we support and just be a little bit fairer a bit kinder definitely yeah I've realized that I was like I was being quite judgmental on charities and I think it's so important to change that perception and not make assumptions that they're being inefficient or they don't have the right priorities if they're spending money. Um, And just that whole idea of the double standard, I think, is so with commercial enterprises and charities um, is so interesting. Absolutely. Cool. Anything else? Um, The only other thing was just learning about Dovetail as a social enterprise and just the whole idea of of what Kiralee's come up with really Mm. blew me away around just the sort of, I guess, the simplicity of connecting small business to the sector and, and connecting small business owners to create that value proposition for their employees as well as themselves is just so clever and I'm just so excited for her that she's making it work. It's, yeah. it's really cool. Cool. Well, thanks, Kate. And we'll um, put all the notes and links in our podcast description and um, we'll see you all next time. See you later.